What's up and welcome to Difficulty Class, a podcast about all things Dungeons and Dragons. I'm one of your hosts, Ali Deitchman, and with me this week is... Trevor Bettis. That's right, and this week we will be talking about the problem with charisma checks and DMing when you're uncomfortable, as well as answering some listener questions at the end. Trevor, how were your games this week? They were non-existent. Oh, well, you know sometimes that happens. (laughs) Yeah, uh, we didn't end up getting to do games this week, but it's fine. It just means that I have more time to make the next session more awesome. Oh, I know the exact feeling. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we we did the Pathfinder game, so I've only got to be a player and stuff, which isn't bad. Mm-hmm. It was a fun one. We did a lot of stuff for a Pathfinder game, which is pretty cool. I got to ask exactly what happened later because I got sick. Oh, that's right. You weren't go. there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you, you were lay sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we, uh, we did some cool stuff. Nobody died. Always wow. a good stuff. Yeah, awesome. I know. Yeah. For a high-level Pathfinder game, that's <laughs> pretty rare. Um, and it was fun. It was it was a really good game. Nice. I enjoyed it a lot. How about you? Who? Oh this... yeah, you you. Oh wow, yeah, you did the big thing. Yeah, um, we finished a campaign, and <laughs> it was like over a year in the making, and it felt good i had a whole moment where i like held up the book and i closed it and everyone was like oh my god and i'm like that was the end of the book from here on it's us guys and then i had a moment of mental like oh no from here on it's me (laughs) 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 because uh, i mean like i'm a i'll be honest it's been a long time since i did my own stuff Mm -hmm. running the game um so i'm like a little bit like well now what do i do but i know i'll be fine because i already have like a lot possible planned out that they could possibly do yeah. if they want to go that way. But then again, you know, this is D&D. They could choose to go a completely different route and yeah. I'll have to figure something out then. But it was such a cool finale. Yeah, you know, they could end up in Schultz somehow. Yeah, you know, <laughs> instead of going where they need to go, which is fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. The room's on fire, but it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> and it was it was such a cool ending and they all really did enjoy how it ended which mm-hmm. is just all i can ask for really yeah. and plus they got some really cool loot yeah which they keep get to they get to use after the adventure is over which mm-hmm. i think is one of the more cool things because it's like oh you do this cool big grand adventure and you got all this cool loot but then it's like well that's the adventure guys let's uh carry on to the next one yeah i <laughs> I, I i do think that was one thing that did suck about the transition from dragon heist to storm king's thunder for mm-hmm. me was that since only one player kept their character they didn't get to do any cool stuff with the stuff that they got yeah i i I mean i spruced it in there in the first session to like show what happened but yeah they don't get to like run around with a you know pockets full of gold and everything like that (laughs) but most likely if kyle wants to buy something i'll just be like yeah you have enough Mm -hmm. (laughs) and what's really cool is that uh these guys through their adventures have managed to by the good graces of some very nice Cincinnati dwarves, uh, get a tower <laughs> built for them. And they're like, oh, cool. We have this cool tower that's going to be built in like 94 days. But then they just got into all this money. And I'm all like, ooh, guys, what are you going to use that money for? <laughs> and like, this is not a spoiler because this was literally a roll on the table. But they got a ring of invisibility. Oh, wow. Legitimately, they were going through the loot. And I had... <laughs> So you're going to start Lord of the Rings now. Yeah, I had my paladin, like, he rolled an investigation. He only had a one, and he had, like, a negative one score, so he got, like, a zero technically. And I'm like, all right, well, you're running your hands through the mound of platinum that you're on, trying to see if there's anything other than just the platinum that you're standing on. And he vanishes from everyone's eyes. (laughs) And everyone's like, what? (laughs) And now I know the ring of invisibility needs you to be attuned to it. But it was such a neat little moment that I had to... And so, yeah, they had a they had a really good blast, and they talked. There was a nice post 
big bad session where everyone was like talking about it and like just in yeah, you, character yeah you're you're telling me about that like you guys had like this kind of therapeutic discussion oh, yeah. afterwards yeah and we all kind of sat around and talked like after the game was over too and just thinking about man like what's next for our characters and where our characters are at and like the character growth they've gone through through this campaign and that felt so good to like be a part of i i was hoping to have that after the Strahd game <laughs> <laughs> instead everyone just went no my character's broken they, they're not gonna keep continuing into adventure <laughs> Yeah, and, like, the one character that would, he's like, yeah, but no one else would adventure with me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, man. It was it was so good. I that, was really happy about it. That's really good. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we've got some... We got a, quite a bit of news. Oh, yes. That we, we should dive into here, because I, I feel like it can take up a big part of this episode as it is. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, we're actually recording this late. We're, mm-hmm. We were going to record on tuesday but you know life happens Mm -hmm. and so here we are on a thursday and about an hour before we met up a new unearthed arcana popped up oh how wonderful i love it oh (laughs) i love unearthed arcana day especially with these new class things coming out oh my Mm -hmm. god (laughs) (laughs) so uh they released an unearthed arcana for sorcerer and warlock and spoilers i think one of these is better than the other one (laughs) and there there's also a new spell too which i always really like because there's been a few Unearthed Arcanas which released like a few, like there's an entire Unearthed Arcana that said, oh, new starter spells, which were really mm. cool. Yeah, oh, I didn't even look at that mm-hmm. one. I think a few of them did get into Xanathar's Guide, but there's a few that didn't. Mm. So uh, for the Sorcerer, we have a new origin, the Aberrant Mind. So cool. And this thing is <laughs> fucking cool i mean like just like rebounding off of the idea of the Baldur's gate three right Mm -hmm. yeah if you if you've seen the complete david cronenberg-esque trailer (laughs) for that game this is very much in that vein Mm -hmm. uh let let, let me read you our uh, our favorite line from this uh (laughs) beginning at 14th level you can unleash the aberrant truth hidden within your flesh Ooh. Yeah. So this this thing is is just nasty and I love it. But mm-hmm. it, so the the premise of it is that uh like an abolith or mind flayer or something has infected your body and you survived. Yeah, and it just made you cooler. Yeah. Uh they they tried to kill you, but they just made you stronger. Essentially. Um, <laughs> and but the thing is though is that really to me this is just kind of a sneaky way of putting in the scion. Like, oh, yeah. it's not completely the scion. Because they don't want to break the game. No. Uh, but this is really close. Like, the, the new spell that they added is a Mind Sliver. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a cantrip. It can be used by the sorcerer, warlock, or wizard. Uh, you drive a disorienting spike of psychic energy into the mind of one creature you can see within range. Target must succeed an intelligence saving throw. Unless the saving throw succeeds, uh, the target takes 1d6 psychic damage. And the first time it makes a saving throw before the end of your next turn, it must roll a d4 and subtract the total from the save. I fucking love this spell because it is such a good support spell. Uh-huh. And, like, that's something that uh, we've talked about this before with other people, too. It's like D&D almost seems to be lacking from good support. 
like really good support spells. And this one is really good because you can, mm. this is like a setup in volleyball. You just you yeah. set it and then someone else can spike them. And, and it's great. And the other great thing is that it uh, continues to do uh, gain and damage as you go in level mm-hmm. 5th level 2d6, 11th level 3d6, 17th level 4d6. Oh, yeah. You like Bane, but you can want to do it over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah, this is it. And you do damage too. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I love this. Like we're not going to go into depth as we, as we did in that bonus episode. Uh, you can go check it out, but my God, this thing is so cool. Yeah. The warp reality 18th level one is ridiculous. Yeah. It has a lot of flavor text of warlocks, but with all the powerhouse yeah. of being a sorcerer. Yeah. So much so that like when we were reading this over, I legitimately forgot that I was reading the sorcerer part yeah. because it felt like a warlock. There's even a part in this where it lets you cast your, like your psionic spells that you can get from being this class, Mm -hmm. like this archetype for using your sorcerer points instead of the spell level points. So it's like, Oh my God. Well, not just that, but if you cast it with the sorcerer points, it doesn't require components. Any components. Yeah. That's insane. And that is so cool. Yeah. I, I absolutely love it. Like in the last one, like where I flipped down, like, Oh, I'm making a monk now. Mm I am making a sorcerer after we record this. Yeah. This is probably going to go make it on hero forge because that's who I am. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. Um, I, I made use of that sale, by the way. There was a sale for Labor Day. I know. I mm-hmm. I didn't. I should have. <laughs> Christmas. I'll Christmas. do it at Christmas. Yeah. Um, and then after that, we have the otherworldly patron, which isn't as cool as it sounds. Yeah. At first, you get very much Cthulhu vibes because yeah. it's like, oh, it's a something monstrous from the deep and from the be- from the creation's earliest days. But then it's like. But it's very heavily water themed and storm themed. Yeah. As opposed to like, you know, warlocky, yeah. tendril themed. Like this, it, it, you know, it's called Otherworldly Patron, but it reads more like a storm sorcerer uh, mixed with Aquaman. Yeah, that's exactly kind of what it is. I mean, like, really neat for characters to like build off of because one thing that i really do enjoy about these uas is that they are building off from backgrounds yeah. more so so like if you have a sailor but you want to be a warlock you can choose this and it fits in perfectly mm-hmm. because it's like oh yeah no you drowned nearly once and you yeah. were saved plucked from the ocean by this whatever being it is and you got these powers from it and they're, they're the really cool thing comes later because yeah. only at 14th level, though, personally, I think that's, like, the coolest part. But mm-hmm. Yeah, like, it does damage and can teleport you. Like, that's cool. It's a really cool escape. Yeah. Um, but it just... I don't know. The name doesn't see, doesn't feel like it fits what it is. Yeah. Um, and it feels a little lackluster. But I'm sure once the surveys come in and people playtest yeah. it, they'll kind of adjust it around and see what goes on from there. Yeah. I, I hope that, like... Personally, I feel like the sorcerer is like good to go. Send it to print. Yeah. The warlock. Eh, let's work on it a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, like I feel like the sorcerer is probably gonna feel a little too op coming out the gate, but perfect. I need op. <laughs> I know. Sometimes when I feel like the sorcerer too, like a lot of people head towards wild magic because that tends to be like the more powerful powerhouse of the sorcerer yeah. bunch. But this one, I feel like, could be really useful in mm-hmm. that. Well, I I think we're both think this is awesome and i'm glad that they are keeping in the theme of doing classes one after the other 
Yeah. Because the other time they've done it, I feel like they've done it and then haven't done it again for a while. So to get these two right next to each other, it makes me really excited to see what's going to be in October. Yes. Very excited. Ooh, spooky. Could, could, could we actually <laughs> see like a true necromancer thing? Could we actually wizard? get a good fighter? Hey, hey, <laughs> hey. Other than the base PHB fighters? Yeah, that's fair. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so if you want to check these out, uh, go check them out on Wizards website. Uh, they got them in their unearthed section, and they actually do have a survey right now about the barbarian and the monk, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm looking forward to filling out yes. because I would re- really just like to write on it, send it to print. Helping them out helps us out. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the next bit of news is uh, a brand new Acquisitions Inc. live game is up, hosted <laughs> by the wonderful. Uh, Jeremy Crawford. The real Jim Dark Magic. The real Jim Dark Magic. <laughs> and I haven't finished it. I've been watching it like through my breaks and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And my God, it's so good. So it's good. one <laughs> it is one of the best Ak Ink games they've had in a really long time. Not to say the other ones haven't been good, but my God, is Xavier Woods a freaking blessing to Dungeons <laughs> and Dragons. I love that man. Oh man. Uh but yeah, so go check that out. It's on YouTube. Uh if you haven't been watching the other ones though, since Jeremy took over, I recommend you do because it it has been a continuous story ever since Jeremy's taken over. Yeah. Like, it's been over a year now. But it's been over a year? It's been over a oh year. Oh my god. Now, but it's only been like a few days in game. <laughs> and it's really cool. I love what they're doing with it. Uh, next bit of news is the essentials kit is out. Yay! Officially. Yes. yes. Don't uh, have to we... go diving into your target back houses. <laughs> or begging them to go check the back and them rolling their eyes at you and going, why are you so obsessed with this, you freaking weirdo? And me going, leave me alone. I just want my box. <laughs> That's how I talk out in public. Yeah, Th- you know. This is just my radio voice. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you can go pick that up pretty much anywhere, though I have heard that some game stores haven't gotten it yet. I know... Uh, one of our local game stores I heard didn't get any, and mm. they're kind of salty about it. Well, understandable. Yeah. I mean, D&D Wizards usually pushes like, oh, your local gaming store a lot, but then mm-hmm. this was like, oh, no, Target exclusive first. Yeah, that was kind <laughs> of interesting that they did that. Yeah. Um, but I know uh, I've heard quite a few Barnes & Nobles have them. Yeah. So you can, you can go pick those up, and they should be much easier to find now. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, I did see a, a, a tweet, though, that a, a teacher picked one up for her because uh, their school has a D&D club oh after God, school, so, so she awesome. got one for the club. Yes. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, last bit of news is, I mean, come on. There's Idol Champion news. You knew we were going to talk Idol about this. You, if, if you're not into <laughs> Idol Champions, just skip ahead. We're going we're gonna to talk about it again. Uh, so they just had their second anniversary. Congrats. Yes, congratulations. <laughs> you Happy all are birthday. making a freaking amazing game. <laughs> And we love it, and mm-hmm. we keep playing it. Constantly. They, uh, it's over now, but they did do an anniversary event where every day they gave you a free chest. And if you did it four days in a row, you get a really cool hitch skin that makes them look like a mind flare. <laughs> which made me go, all right, guess I'm using hitch again. <laughs> uh, and so that ended, but it was still really awesome and really great to see how many people were just wishing them a happy anniversary. Yeah. Uh, the... One of the things that I've been slowly getting into is the Idol Champions community, and they are one of the best communities I've seen. Oh, really? Like, the subreddit is so great because it's just like, if a free chest comes out, people automatically like go on there and post it. 
with the code and then every and then everyone's just like hey thank you thank you thank you like it's a really great little community and i'm looking forward to getting more into it that's awesome uh the next piece of idol champions news is that bright sword (laughs) is going on right now uh it is it is same event (laughs) yeah yeah uh year two year two event and oh i had it up here uh the new champion is tyrell I think mm-hmm. that's how you say it. Turiel? Turiel? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to read you real quick his thing because we got a little bit of surprise when we read it earlier. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you're going to journey into the depths of the Nine Hills, you'll want this Azimir, uh at your side. A cleric of the dom- uh, Order Domain, Turiel has spent a mortal lifetime in the service of the God of Dragons, Bahamut, which freaking cool. Yeah. He has traveled across Toril... Under uh, under the guidance of his patron, h- hunting fiends from the abyss of the nine hells, he has unearthed and destroyed cults of the dragon, and uh, he is relentless in his pursuit of justice. Now it seems that Turl's lifetime of battle was merely preparation for a single holy mission: to enter Avernus and prevent the wielder of the hand of fucking Vecna. I added that <laughs> uh, from breaking Tiamat free. Oh my god. Holy shit, that's cool. Yeah. That is oh my god. Like now I know like Isle Champions isn't like, you know, what wizards might call canon. I'm gonna call it canon because I don't give a fuck. I love it. Um <laughs> but this to my knowledge is the first time we've had a mention of Vecna in Faerun. Mm-hmm. And I'm here for that. Oh yeah. Uh, like give it, give it to me. I yeah. want it. I'll, yes. Yes. Please. So if this is something that's in Descent into Avernus as like one of those side things that might happen, this might become my main thing that happens because that sounds awesome. So good. <laughs> Especially knowing that Archon uh and all those people are in there. Oh man, this could be this could be a cool like side Tiamat adventure. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, there is a awesome breakdown of of uh, Turl and all of his abilities and everything on there, showing off like the gear that he can get. I think I think it's awesome. Currently, my dudes are running through and trying to unlock him right now. So if you are an Idol Champions addict like we are, you go, can go do that. Yeah, and I'm, go you know, go well, check it out. I'm sure you already know about too. Wolfgar, as you're, while you're at it. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, Wolfgar's there. Mm-hmm. I, not, I haven't unlocked him on my phone yet. Now's the time. So now is the time. <laughs> all right, but that is all the news we got, and mm-hmm. we still don't have a cool little dumb pun name for it. So the news is over. <laughs> <laughs> no dungeon keeping this week. Yep, we 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 have no announcements. Nothing to announce this time. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, let's move into. To, I believe this is your topic. Yes. Um, it's titled The Problem with Charisma Checks, but it's kind of just charisma checks in general. Um, I mostly wanted to bring up the concept of how charisma checks are, like, one of the few checks that the player's influence is heavy as compared to a lot of the other checks. Okay. Um, like, for example, a rogue can stealth, and the rogue says, I'm going to sneak into that room, and they roll a stealth check. They roll something, and it's pretty high because they're a rogue, and they go in there quietly. A barbarian says, I want to give an inspiring speech. And they pull out a piece of paper that they prepared last night, and they give this really powerful speech. And as a DM, you're like, roll a charisma check? And they roll, and it's low, and they're a barbarian, so it's even lower. But the speech was actually really cool. And so it's like, 
charisma checks themselves are like one of the few things that players more so than anything more than the characters can actually influence i want to talk about that and how to approach that as a dm okay um i actually went ahead and pulled up the article that i know sparked this conversation between you and i thanks by the way to wiz who pointed that out yeah uh so this article is on roll4.net and uh it is called the problem with charisma checks Mm-hmm. And it's a pretty long article. I'm not going to sit here and read through it. But, uh, but yeah, it's basically saying how, like, um, you can get a bonus on charisma checks from what you say. Mm-hmm. Like, DMs do that. Where it's like, oh, that was really that was a really good speech. Roll with advantage. Yeah. But, the like, the example that they give is you can't get a bonus on an animal handling check uh, by bringing in your pet hamster. No. Though, at my table... <laughs> You might. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know it. Yeah, you, you tell me you got a little ham taro in your pocket and he can talk to other animals. Yeah, you get that bonus. Yeah, you get it. You get that bonus. <laughs> um, and I really hadn't thought about that until this article. In fact, I really hadn't even considered there being a problem with it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when you bring it up like that, I do see how charisma checks feel different yeah. than the rest of them. Yeah. And it... <sighs> Because of that, it's actually made me realize how I approach all the other checks, too. Mm-hmm. Because I think a real good, simple solution to that is to approach the other checks with the same concept as charisma checks. To where, if you're going to treat charisma checks with out-of-character solutions, treat other checks with out-of-character solutions as well. Because, I mean, for example, we just actually brought this up last night with my players. Um, someone said, yeah... I remember when we were going through the tournament arc, because, yes, I had a tournament arc, and... We... Oh, my God. (laughs) So good. And he was saying, like, yeah, I I was on top of this rock in between, like, a stream and a piece of land, and instead of just leaping to the land, I shimmied down the rock and then leapt off of it as I was hanging off of it, Assassin's Creed style. (laughs) That made the check more difficult, but I explained to you what I wanted out of character, and it worked. And I'm like, yeah, because of what you explained it to me, it made it more difficult. And he's like, that's fine with me. Mm-hmm. And so it's like taking the concept of doing charisma checks out of character, I think should also be applied to other checks too. Because that's kind of the thing for me where it's like. The, the, this, is, this is where it gets to be kind of the hard thing. Because yeah. yes, I do agree with that. But like, then there's tools which yeah. are supposed to specifically do this. Yeah. Like um, thieves tools. If you're proficient in it, is it that you get to add your proficiency bonus again or does it give you advantage? Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't remember which one is, but basically like... No, yeah. If you're proficient with thieves tools, you add your proficiency bonus to a dex check. Okay, that's what it is. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, like... So the tools are different than that. Okay, I couldn't, I couldn't quite remember. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as far as like giving advantage and stuff like that, yeah, I could see that. And normally I do do that, but I feel... Dude, I'm a child. Um, <laughs> I feel like that's what inspiration is supposed to be, though. Yeah, and that's where we slightly... But I, I, I do feel <laughs> that like a lot of people do that also where it's like oh that was a really good idea to have advantage on it mm-hmm. it's, when really what you should be doing is that's a really good idea take a point of inspiration and then they can decide to use that on the roll if they yeah. want to 
And that's something that maybe I should consider more because like yeah. inspiration, I'll be honest, came in clutch when we did the big bad fight mm-hmm. these last couple of weeks because the rogue used inspiration points like a b- billion times. It was mm-hmm. crazy. Each time was really meant for it, but it was really useful. And I remember reading an article about inspiration where it was saying, um, if you give them out enough, the characters will use them enough. Like, the players will use Are them. Are you allowed to have more than one point? I don't think so. Yeah, I think you're only allowed to have one yeah, point. But I don't if you give them out it, regularly. Yeah, I don't rule it like that because I rarely give them out. I give them out as, uh, like, campaign enders mm-hmm. or, like, big level enders yeah. to where it's like, you did the big bad thing. Here's but here's an inspiration point. Now that I'm thinking about in that way of, like, hey, that's a good idea. Instead of when I would say take advantage on it, I should just switch it to take a point of inspiration because it's basically the same thing mm-hmm. but they have more control on but they have more they control do. on it and it gives it more player agency yeah and it lets and it has just because i i know as a player like i feel cool enough as it is when i get advantage mm-hmm. but getting that inspiration that i could decide to use then or later is kind of cooler like it, it, it yeah cooler. yeah you know it like it's it's more interesting uh i might try doing that but to, to go back the the thing about the player having more to do with the role than other checks, mm-hmm. I think the reason why I never thought of it that way is because that's not how I read a charisma check. Yeah. In my head, the way I've always done a charisma check is you're not rolling to see how well you did it. You're rolling to see how they reacted to it. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like... I've I've had it before where uh, it's not a versus check. It's just a no. Check. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like I I had a player who was who their their character was really well spoken, very intelligent stuff like that. Like was always persuasive. Rolled just a one. Yeah. Just straight up a one. And I went well. Uh, you did your absolute best in trying to convince them. You used every method that you have used before when talking to someone in this situation, but their demeanor does not shift in any way. Mm-hmm. Their arms cross and they just seem to almost take offense to what you're saying. Yeah. So it had nothing to do with them. It had everything to do with the way that that person was reacting to it. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Because I mean, that also solves a lot of problems when it comes to uh, people who do come prepared. And it's like yeah. people who do have like that huge speech planned out or say something really impactful yes. and they make the check and it's just a lousy roll because luck is luck. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, it wasn't on you. Mm-hmm. You did what you could. It was how they received it. And and I mean, another thing is, is that like we've talked about when to call for checks. We've mm-hmm. done a whole topic on that. Yeah. And there's been some times where a player has like given a speech in character that they came up with on the fly and it was really good and like everyone at the table was impressed with it i'm like i'm not gonna make you roll oh yeah for that. no yeah that's totally that's definitely a thing there if you feel like a character did what they did was so cool to the point where it's like this is gonna succeed no matter what if you feel like they should succeed no matter what then don't call a check because yeah. then there's a chance for failure and if yeah. you don't want a chance for failure don't call for a check. As Ike learned, don't even let that 5% happen. Don't let it happen. That's a story you'll hear one day. Yeah. <laughs> and it's that's the important thing to remember is that if a character comes, if a player comes in with a really neat idea and it doesn't even have to be charisma checks and you want it to succeed, don't let it be a check. Mm-hmm. Because then you just say it happens and then it happens. But what about when it's the opposite way around too? What if a player is playing a bard 
but however they don't quite have the charisma know-how in real life to come up with an idea um that's when i let mechanics take over the role playing Mm -hmm. where um i will say what is the goal you want to get out of this yeah that's where it kind of goes spills more into out of character too yes and it and i'm and i'm fine with that because you can want to play a bard and not be a sociable person you can be an introvert and want to play a bard yeah you can be that scanlan who sings literally every song that they can and every time that you do a healing word you do something fantastic Mm -hmm. or you could be um i inspire you yeah and you give him the dice quietly yeah that's fine (laughs) and so in those situations uh, especially with charisma checks like with persuasion and intimidation um and i do this a lot for new players who aren't used to role playing yeah um, like, and, in my ex coworker group, um, <laughs> the, <laughs> it's never not going to be funny to me. Um, one of my players, uh, John, he, uh, was like, I want to scare it. They, mm-hmm. are, they had a goblin. Yeah. And I was like, okay, you can do an intimidation check. And he, he goes, okay. And I'm like, what do you say to him? He's like, uh, I'm like, tell you what, just make the, make the roll and I'll tell you what happens. Yeah. So he rolls it. I know John. I give him a very John scene. And he was just <laughs> like, yeah. And we just went through it like that. And doing it that way, I feel, is good because, one, it keeps the game going. Two, it doesn't make the uh, player feel so much on the spot and worried that they're going to screw it up. Yeah. It just is down to the roll. And I also feel like doing it that way because... I've done it before. Where I'm not the only one that like comes up with an idea for what they do. I let other players say it because it's yeah. just a role. And that's something that the article also brings up is the collaborative part of it. Um, yes. Now, in, in this situation, I do feel like that one's okay. But there's sometimes where like if it's the players on their own and they need to ask the certain amount of questions, I feel like that's getting a little too far into metagaming. Yeah. Um, Because I do feel that if your character has an idea for a question, they should be the one to ask it. Because it's weird to think about. It's like, oh, well, I I have a question, but I'm going to tell it to you so you can ask him because you're better at asking questions. Yeah. Like, it's a little bit weird in that moment. Yeah, I think it's more appropriate, like, where if a bard goes off and is trying to sneak up somewhere and it's like... And the, the player is stumped, like, well, what am I going to do? And mm-hmm. so, like, I think in that point in time, in that example, I think it's more appropriate for the other players to chime in saying, doesn't your character know this? Mm-hmm. And list it out. And they'd be like, yeah, with that information reminded to me, mm-hmm. <laughs> I can then do this instead. Um, as opposed to, oh, you could just do this. Yeah. And it's like, I think giving, like, offering ideas as opposed to saying, oh, you should do this, I think would be better than just like pretty much telling other people how to play their characters Mm -hmm. or like you said like because your skill is better than mine you should ask what i want you to ask yeah like when it's in the moment where it's the player wants to do something and they can't quite think of what it is i think it's fine in that moment to do it but when it's getting down to the metagame like oh well you've got a better charisma score than me you should do it and the person goes well i don't know what to ask oh just ask him this it's like okay you're getting into a little bit too much of a metagame there where 
you're only having them do the role because they have a better score than you, but it's your idea. Yeah. I mean, like that happens a lot in, uh, not necessarily that, like that opportunity happens mm-hmm. a lot in my Tomb of Annihilation game because I have a wizard mm-hmm. whose charisma is like a negative one, yeah. but he has a lot of ideas. Well, yeah, like, and so he ends up talking a lot because he has a lot of questions and he always at the end of the thing he's like why was i the one talking and everyone's like well you just started talking yeah well, look, <laughs> um um our pathfinder game mm-hmm. dusty and i you know we have really good arcana scores and so when it comes to an arcana check like if he's in the area i'll just be like oh you know you got the better score which is fine because that i feel like that one's okay because it's, it's also like, in mid battle too. Well, it's not just well, it's not just that. It's it's like oh, you know more about this stuff than I do. Mm-hmm. It, when it comes to that sort of stuff, I feel like it's okay. But he has a better diplomacy than I do. But I will be damned if I let him talk. <laughs> no, <laughs> his character yeah. has gotten us into so much trouble with his mouth, with the words coming out of him. <laughs> yeah, and that again is kind of similar to the influence part that I was talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. There's also the bad influence of a player um, when it comes to a charisma score. You could have a really high charisma, but then the things you offer to the table could be just not great ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) So it's like, if if they roll up and they say, oh yeah, um, you know, I want to offer this really bad deal. uh, How's that sound? But then they have like a plus 13 charisma. Well, (laughs) for me, that is like, you know how it's like, oh, that person's just naturally charismatic. Mm-hmm. That for me is the argument against uh, people who are like, oh, well, I feel like numbers should match how you play. It's like, no, you can be a jerk and an asshole and a, you know, Dusty's character. And <laughs> he's not a jerk or an asshole. He just no. says things. Um, he's a goof. He's a goof. <laughs> uh, but he's naturally charismatic. So even though he does these things, people just can't you know help it but like him yeah so that fits i i think that works and i mean like honestly something that i do as a dm is that if the players say something so outrageous to where like you realize you're talking to an npc right like Mm -hmm. i'll just raise the dc because if they can meet that expectation their dice they have a good chance of doing so Mm -hmm. but there's a chance that they can't because of what they said and i usually only do that with players that i've been playing with for a while but when it comes to like kids at the, the bookstore, mm-hmm. it's like they they're still getting a grasp on talking to characters in character. Mm-hmm. Like they asked a character like, oh, are you evil? And I'm like, oh, you realize you're talking. I said out of character, you realize you're talking to like a, a person, right? You're just asking that <laughs> question. And they looked at me and they said, yes. And I'm like, okay. So she pulls back from you and she kind of shakes her head and then she turns to the other group and she addresses them instead. Yeah. And so it's like uh, talking in character does have i think its own consequences and i think an easy but still doable consequence is just raising the dc a little bit well like i feel like the example you just gave like it is illustrating what the article is about where a player has in does have influence over the difficulty and the advantage on a check but at the same time you talked earlier about your player deciding instead of just doing a simple athletics check that he's you know, climbed down yeah. and then leapt off the side. He did that too. Yeah. So I feel like, like that, that's why for me, like the article itself was like, I understand what they're talking about, but I don't feel it's as big a problem as the article made it out to be. 
Yeah. I think it's all down to how you run it, which at the end, I do feel like that's what it got it got to. Like it has at the bottom, like what do you do about it? And I I think like it it does explain itself better that way. Yeah. Because in the end, like charisma checks, they're weird. They're hard. They're a different, I will admit, they are a different beast than the rest of the checks that are on there. Yeah. I mean, this Be- is a, you do sit down and talk yeah. at this game. <laughs> like, no one says, uh, oh, I want to check out this uh, this magical tome. And someone goes, all right, make an arcana check, but how are you doing it? Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I get that. But I think that's something that's kind of cool about the skills is that they aren't all made equally. Yeah, they do offer some chances of role play and more so in others. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then others are just straight like on the DM too where it's like uh, roll a nature check. It's like, okay, uh, you're old high. Well, you remember from when you did this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like you recall this bit of information or I mean like luckily my characters literally are nerds and go to libraries. And mm-hmm. I'm like, remember that time that you went to the library? Yeah, you actually stumbled upon the book that you read about this. And so it's like, as opposed to charisma checks where it's very much kind of more so in the moment than past character action influencing. And so, I, I mean, like charisma checks are interesting in that aspect, but I think it's something that you just kind of have to figure out as you play your game, especially if it's a home game that you've been playing for a while, you'll find your niche about how you run them. And eventually you'll, you'll get in the, you'll get in the way of how you do it. Like for me, I adjust the DC personally. Like, mm-hmm. if people say something really charismatic and I want them to succeed, I don't have a DC. They just succeed. Where if they say something pretty not charismatic and they still want it to succeed in a persuasion and not intimidation, I'm like, okay, the DC's tough, but mm-hmm. roll for it. See how they take that information in. Like how you were saying, because I love that idea of the dice isn't necessarily a versus check. It's because... I don't recommend doing an insight versus persuasion or whatever have you, because that just means that their charisma check is based off of their skill, Mm -hmm. which presents problems because the player's influence is the major part of the charisma check. Yeah. (laughs) So I love that concept of having just the charisma check is how they take the charisma check. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I I think that is all the, the points I've got on that. How about you? Same here. All right. Well, let's move over to our DMs Guild Spotlight. Yes. Uh, very exciting, especially for when September 17th comes out. Because mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be cool. <laughs> so uh, our DMs Guild Spotlight for this week is Devil's Advocate, a guide to infernal contracts, which I feel like is a pretty important thing. Oh, yes. Now, I do feel like Avernus is going to touch on this because they've already said that contracts gonna be a pretty big thing but this i uh that i've looked through is a really nice supplement to have for it and i think is gonna have more than what they're gonna do mm-hmm. so let me read you uh what they got devil's advocate is a fifth edition supplement for creating role-playing uh, and extending infernal contracts at your table. Uh, despite the rich history of devils in Dungeons and Dragons, I felt that there was a gap in official material on this subject. Devil's Advocate includes infernal contract lore, which I've read through and it's freaking cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sections on the five essential components of a contract, uh, consideration, the offer, obligation, fine print, and acceptance. An alternate system for extending offers complete with a table of mechanically benefits of mechanical benefits designed to entice your players. 
Role-playing tips for players, randomized tables, and guidance on writing infernal contracts of your own. Three new monsters, the collection agents. Oh my god. Uh, a And a prop contract handout. <gasps> yes, props. Yes. Uh, <laughs> this thing, and the artwork, I freaking love the cover. Oh artwork. yeah, just it, like, just passing the paper. Yeah, this, this just, uh, it's so good. Uh, it is written by Justice Armin, and it's currently $4.95. I think it's a great price for what you're getting there. Oh, yeah. And I mean, like, uh, what I just talked to you about before this show, I think I might just get it because mm-hmm. that would be really cool. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I think both of us are going to end up running Avernus games, and yes. this is going to be a really good one because, man, I cannot wait to just keep tempting my players with terrible <laughs> things. Yes, it'd be great. So go to DMs Guild, check that one out, pick it up, especially if you're going to be running Avernus. Mm-hmm. And uh, if uh, you somehow talk to Justice Arm and tell them we sent you their way. Yeah. All right. Topic number two is my topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, D- so it's 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 hot right now. Yeah, it's, it's warm. Beautiful I'm, September. I'm in my my shorts <laughs> and my t-shirt, like I'm ready to go to bed. And we got like, a lot of fans on in this room that I hope y'all can't hear. <laughs> And my top the topic is DMing when you're uncomfortable. Yes. And it's not just when it's hot. It can be cold. You could be sick. It, it, you could be in a non-ideal location in a uncomfortable chair or anything. Sometimes it's, you're just not in the, the ideal space to be running a game. I feel like I've done it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I started DMing on a couch. With a coffee table as our as our setting, <laughs> so like yeah, I, I I started off there, and man, my god, the first time I actually got to sit at a table, table. <laughs> after probably three months of running like that, oh, oh my, my god, god, I felt like a king. <laughs> um, so what do you do? Because I know that you've run games while you're sick, oh, and I god. have too, and we run games in the summer where it is hot where we are. <laughs> Okay, not as hot as everywhere. Like, don't be a heat elitist in the comments. <laughs> Just if it's hot, period. Yeah, you you hot you, in the context that you think is hot. You are experiencing dif- discomfort. Um, so what do you do? Oh boy. Okay. So I mean, just yesterday I ran a game, and it's in this tiny room. It's like eight by nine, and there's six people in the room mm-hmm. along with a computer that is running and like and there's one fan that is going because the overhead fan is broken we have the door open but there's no wind and it's just letting the heat in and letting the heat out at the same time it's miserable essentially when when you messaged me on tuesday and said do you want to record at my house my exact reaction was that danny devito gif of him just shaking his head no 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 i understood that that's why i was like he's probably gonna say no but i should just ask (laughs) and it's not great um because it's really difficult to think on your feet when you can't think very Mm -hmm. well yeah um that kind of applies to all of these situations but like one of the ways that idm is through just thinking on your feet yeah and just coming up with things on the spot and having reactions to stuff that i wouldn't have prepared at all because that's what my players do to me and it's like that's what, part of what making D&D is fun, is being able to react in a way that no one would expect. When I'm feeling super uncomfortable and all I could think about is just I'm getting a headache because I haven't eaten in a bit and it's hot and I haven't drinking enough water. And then all of a sudden my players are like, I'm going to counterspell your counterspell. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> 
okay, um, I guess legendary action. <laughs> and so it kind of just becomes a thing that you have to worry about on top of everything else. I wouldn't actually recommend it. There's been whole times where I've straight up gone back and been like, guys, do you mind if we kind of retcon half of what we did there? Mm-hmm. Because I honestly feel like we could do a lot better, especially if you're sick. I've been that person to roll up into D&D, took a Mucinex, took a Dayquil, mm-hmm. and I am loopy as hell, wrote my name down on the paper, and it's not my name. And <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. And I'm like, that says Taylor. My name is Allie. Taylor's it's, not even in this room. This is my handwriting. I don't know. Um, this is my paper. I don't know what this is. <laughs> I don't remember not writing my name down. I've been in that situation. Mm-hmm. It's not great. And you end up doing things that your character would not do at all, especially if you're a player. Mm-hmm. It's not fun. So honestly, I know how hard it is to get into D&D games nowadays because people are busy. But if you're sick... Just be like, friends, I got to sit this one out. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're the DM. Don't feel bad about saying that because the entire game will feel better and you'll actually have fun if you're not sick. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, that's rule number one at my table. Have fun. Yeah. It is a game in the end. And so if you're there literally suffering <laughs> through this just so you can play D&D, it's not fun anymore. You're mm-hmm. just getting through it. And it's it's not worth it. Well, I, I will. I 100% agree about the sick thing, uh, especially if you know that you're sick. Yeah. But there have been times where I get about. I I remember this. I was 15 minutes into a fourth edition game, and I went, "Oh no." Yeah. Oh no. What I do you and, do? And, and I could and I suddenly just like I felt my throat start to itch. Oh god. I I felt a headache start to come on. That live that deep, time yeah. knowing what's coming. Yeah. And I'm like this is bad. This <laughs> mm-hmm. is real bad. And mm-hmm. like in those situations like it, yeah, it's one of those where I just like I have to like pull up my britches and just go with it. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, if you are already sick, yeah, obviously call that shit off. Yeah. Don't I, don't yeah. I've done it. It was a bad decision, but there's sometimes where you don't have a choice in that because you already got everyone there and you're already in the game and then you go, "Uh-oh." Yeah, I mean like what do you do? Uh I mean I guess there's a few things you can do. Mm-hmm. Uh you can fall back on easy things that you know from the bottom of your heart you can do. Yes. Like uh tropes are a beautiful thing. If you don't know what to pull up at the heat of the moment, you can just rely on, well, this person's the biggest bat at the moment. I'm going to go after them. As opposed to trying to think what's really going through that person's mm-hmm. mind. Just think, okay, real simple. And, and I mean, if you're a DM that is like against tropes, it's it's fine to do them. And because you don't do them all the time, it Ew. makes it an interesting session yeah. because you went with it and it was easy to do. Yeah. And it also saved your brain from melting. Oh my God, yes. Um the other the one thing that I do, like what I did in that that session is I started expanding on my notes while it, players were taking their turn. Granted it was fourth edition, so their turns took forever. Um <laughs> So, like, I went to my notes and I started expanding more on it that I knew I could remember that I wanted to do that I was just leaving up to myself to remember. Yeah. So, that way, I, I did that and I just relied on my notes more than I normally do. That's definitely a great point. Yeah, like, uh, have a fallback plan on easy things you can pull mm-hmm. out, like tropes, and then just take 
write down everything. Don't think you can remember, oh, this person will have disadvantage when mm -hmm. you have six other people on the board. Yeah. Write down this person has a disadvantage because you will forget and your players will be like, but didn't, what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> he got an 18, but he had disadvantage? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he had disadvantage. Um <laughs> Also, you know, be honest with your players and be like, hey, I I'm think I'm getting great. sick, but... We're going to mm -hmm. keep this going, but just bear with me. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, like, talk to your players. Tell them. Let them know what's up. Um, <laughs> other uncomfortable situations. Standing. Mm-hmm. I know oh, yeah. that can be comfortable to most people. People I've read online are like, oh, no, I prefer standing. Yeah, especially so did Mark Twain, but it doesn't make him right. <laughs> yeah, especially at, like, certain situations like if you're at a convention and mm -hmm. like you're trying to hold a whole table that you've never met before or at our bookstore games yep. where um granted we don't have enough chairs yeah um fun times you you just end up standing the whole time and my only issue with that is that the tables are not standing height mm -hmm. so for me to keep track of things like health and everything I literally start like crouching down beneath the DM screen to write stuff, mm -hmm. and then I pop back up, and then I'm all like, "All right, so who's next?" <laughs> the the one thing that I've started that I I shouldn't say started that I've been doing uh, when I have to stand at the games is I start making the NPCs more. Um, I'm trying to think of the word. I I get them to move around more so that I can act it out, which gets me moving instead of just standing, standing in one place. There. Yeah. Like uh, I had, there was one game where I had to stand because I had, it was the first game that I did where 12 people showed up. Oh yeah. <laughs> and so I'm standing there and some players are in a tavern. And so I just started acting out the crazy dance this NPC was doing, which got a good laugh out of everyone. Mm -hmm. And it also got me moving and got my feet not hurting as much. Yeah. I mean, like it definitely helps. And especially if you're playing with a board too, mm -hmm. um, it kind of influences you to move the, the minions you're, you're controlling yes. a lot more than you would. Mm -hmm. um, it's a slight influence, but it does influence you. You're like, Oh, I could easily reach the board and the other side. I'm going to have them dash on the complete other side of the map that I'd have to ask a player to do. Mm -hmm. So it's like I kind of end up moving my players around a lot more because I'm standing, mm -hmm. which is a crazy upside to an uncomfortable situation. Yeah. Well, like, <laughs> I do feel like out of all of the uncomfortable situations, probably standing is the best one. Yeah, it's the least problematic. It is the least problematic. <laughs> Whereas like, you know, the heat. Yeah, that it, one. It sucks. There's no real solution to that. Yeah. Um, Obviously, drink water. Don't be an idiot. And definitely. Keep hydrated. Keep hydrated. Don't you're... drink alcohol while you're super, super hot because that will just make everything worse and you'll yeah. get a headache. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, definitely be smart about it when you're playing in the heat because, like, yeah, you, you're going to have to keep this energy level up for a while. You know how, what energy you DM at. Everyone's mm -hmm. different. So don't overdo yourself because I guarantee you someone's passed out from trying to DM in the heat and being an oh, idiot. Yeah. And I mean, like, and honestly, if you notice your players are slouching back in the couch or on the chairs and just like trying to fan themselves, you notice them just dying. Mm -hmm. That probably means they're not having as much fun as they usually do. Yeah. So at that point, ask the table, do we want to call it here? Do we well, want to keep going? See, I know it's terrible. <laughs> see, the thing is, though, about that is that, like, it's not just hot occasionally especially in some locations it's just hot all the time yeah and so if you want to play you gotta sit through it mm -hmm. and i guess like the best thing to do in that situation is you know find things that you can do to at least cool down or keep 
everybody happy going. Or you know what would is another thing that I have done is I have made it part of the story <laughs> where it is hot in the game. Yeah. And I'm describing it just like your players feel exactly how you feel right now. Yeah, I can't wait to get back into Tomb of Annihilation and describe, be like, oh yeah, you know how you're feeling right now? How it's humid and hot? Yeah. That. It's worse. <laughs> the game is a heat elitist. <laughs> um, but yeah, I know that like there's I there's been times where like people have said the 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 one bad thing, one of the big bad things about DMing when you're uncomfortable is the thought of DMing when you're uncomfortable. Yeah, like I have had people say, "Hey, we should start a game," and I go, "Okay, where will we run it?" And they tell me, and I'm like, "Oh God, no!" Yeah, and it does like I will admit, like I have said no to running campaigns because of the location and i'm like yeah i don't really want to run it there like i'm not running it from a couch i'm not living that life again yeah no it's that's a great point too because like it's and, and, uncomfortable socially too oh oh man that's one i didn't even think about but real quick i i think the thing that i want to say there is like with being sick with the knowledge of being uncomfortable someplace it's okay to say no it is okay. Like, obviously, the heat one or the cold one or, like, you know, when it's your friend group, your home game, sometimes you just got to go through it and it sucks. <laughs> yeah. Um, or it's even okay to just be like, hey, let's take the summer off. Mm-hmm. It, it does suck because you're not playing, but it's better than just being uncomfortable with your yeah. friends for four hours and not really getting anywhere. Oh, something that we've done, we've actually done, started it later in the day than we usually do. Mm-hmm. And we end a little bit later, but it's a lot cooler because the sun is on the other side of the house and the wind is actually somewhat moving at that point. Mm-hmm. And most of the game takes place when the sun is setting. Yeah. So it's like, it feels a lot cooler. And sure, we end a little later, but it helps a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, DMing when you are socially uncomfortable. Oh my god. That is a whole different thing. Yeah. Oh boy. Okay, so, I mean, when you're DMing with strangers, I mean, that's something all in itself. Because if you're not quite um, an experienced social person, mm-hmm. to where I mean you're, you're, you've done this a lot, where you've been around a lot of strange people before, strange as in you've never met them before, mm-hmm. um, then... It's difficult to get into the swing of things because you have no idea how people will react to even words that you're just trying to say. Yeah. Not even, not to mention your plans for a whole game. (laughs) And so that itself can be really uncomfortable because just the thought of going into the social pressure and Mm -hmm. it's... Social anxieties, you say. Yeah, what a concept. (laughs) Um, Anxieties in general, especially social ones, can yeah. be a huge factor when it comes to playing D&D because in the end, it is a social game. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, I would really recommend securing down a group so you can kind of like work those out with people that you've played over and over with first. Mm-hmm. And then when you go to like these big stranger events, like or even Adventures League, then you're kind of more comfortable with it. Yeah. Because really the best way to, I wouldn't say get over it, but to get through it would be to just get comfortable with get it. Get comfortable yeah. with it. Yeah. Yeah. There, I will say though that, again, if you feel that you're too uncomfortable with something, it is okay, obviously, to say no. It's just a game. Yeah. 
I mean, uh, that's happened in my home game. Like, yeah. um, there's been discourse in the friend group, and then all of a sudden my friend's like, yeah, I'm going to pop out for a while. Mm-hmm. And it was fine. We're yeah. still friends. But it's like, it's understandable. This is a game. You don't have to force yourself to sit through it for four hours once a week because if you're not having fun, you don't need to do that. Mm-hmm. And it was totally understandable. And he felt better about it. So it's like, yeah, no, totally. If you need to feel like that, go for it. Mm-hmm. Don't put yourself through that. <laughs> and But like... The, our, our bookstore game, like, yeah, there's been some times where people have said things that have been like, okay, well, that's really uncomfortable or anything like that. And in those situations, like, I would say, like, go listen to our thing about, like, uncomfortable topics. Like, that. that's... Yeah. I mean, like, if, again, if a real good, easy way to kind of curb around that I saw recently online was someone said... Like, what if someone brings that to the table that I did not expect? You can easily just go in, especially in an Adventures League kind of situation where you're running with strangers or playing with strangers to be like, hey, I don't play like I don't play that kind of stuff in my games. We don't do that here. Yeah, just hand wave. That's not for us. Mm-hmm. And then you just carry on. Yeah. And if they don't get the picture, then you have all rights and authority yeah. <laughs> to tell them again. Mm-hmm. And they have to go. <laughs> but yeah, the, the social bit is a little more difficult to pull through but uh, once you get more comfortable with it mm-hmm. the better it'll be really at the end of the day man nice big table and air conditioning is just the most ideal way to play TNT for me <laughs> <laughs> yes definitely <laughs> but yeah i i thought that would just be a fun little thing to talk about especially since we it, it's so it's just hot and uncomfortable and humid and i hate it mm-hmm. <laughs> uh all right well that's gonna do it for our topics uh, but we got some listener questions. Yes. Let's see. We got uh, we got one from Dallas. Uh, but let's uh, let's let's do Aaron's first since I have it up and I had to scroll to get to it. Uh, <laughs> what is the best thing you've personally seen come from Dungeons and Dragons? Oh, so many things. <laughs> yes. Would you want to go first? Yeah. Um. So I said in the first episode I started playing this game in 2011 mm-hmm. i'm late to the game like, <laughs> i've been doing it now for almost 10 years which is crazy but f- awesome and in that time i started at the tail end of fourth edition where it still had that stigma of oh god you play D D. uh all the way now to there's dungeons and dragons merch yeah. at target like, if you told me back then that we were going to get to this point in this amount of time, I'd call you crazy. I'm yeah. like, no, there's no way, no way. that the, that we're going to become associated with Dungeons & Dragons to the point where people are buying merch of it and not even playing it. Yeah. And it- know what it is <laughs> just by me saying D&D. Mm-hmm. And so really, the community that we have now, I love it. I love that this has come out of this hobby that I didn't think I'd ever love and then fell head over heels for. And I now also get to watch everyone else fall head over heels oh for Oh my god, it. yeah. Yeah. So really, like, when when what's the best thing that's come out of D&D? Like, freaking D&D. Like, <laughs> it's, the, it's the best thing that's come out of it with Stranger Things, Critical Role, Joe Manganiello going on the Tonight Show or the Late Show or whatever the hell it was, and talking and, about and D&D. talking about D and D and rolling freaking dice on national television. Red Nose Day with Colbert. Yeah, right? like it's crazy, and I love all of this stuff, and it's mm-hmm. so much fun to watch. Not even just for an entertainment value, just the fact that it's happening. Yeah, 
The, the fact that, like, I can say Demogorgon, and, like, <laughs> they may not know exactly which one I'm talking about, but they know that they know word. That word. <laughs> they know that name. They know what it's associated it's with. It's not just a demons and <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons demon. Uh, a literal <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons demon. Yeah, like, it's insane. The fact that we got from that 60 Minutes segment in 1986, <laughs> I think it was, mm-hmm. to where we are now is mind-blowing yeah and i i i'm so happy with it concerned mothers can now say i, I saw a literal demogorgon come out of his closet as opposed to a dungeons and dragons demon <laughs> yeah they know which demon it yeah, is yeah they can yeah, say yeah, a name yeah. now <laughs> yeah well not well not just that the fact that like it's gone from oh my son plays dungeons and dragons he must worship satan to um, oh, my son plays Dungeons and Dragons, and it helped him with his anxiety at school. And he hangs out with friends every week, yeah. and he spends time doing a creative outlet. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I love that, and I love following people on Twitter and seeing all this awesome fun and love. Everyone's that's out excited of it. about it. Yeah, and yeah. it's like there's no one that's just like, oh, Dungeons and Dragons came out. It's like everyone's like, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so that, that's my answer. Mm-hmm. What, what, what about you? Um, it's something that we actually just talked about last night between me and my friend. My friend's dad passed away this year, and it was very, uh, it was very heartbreaking because like his dad knew like all of us, mm. and so that was a rough thing to get through. But he told us last night that playing his character Saphir, it actually helped him process the passing of his dad, because Saphir's character he lost his wife. And it was kind of a personal connection that he's able to process that feeling of loss. And he got to process that directly with friends, both in-game and out-of-game. And so playing D&D actually, like, and here I am, like, nearly going at it myself, but playing D&D helped him through that process. Wow. And, like, I've called it a creative outlet, but it's also just a personal outlet it's an emotional outlet yeah yeah and dnd kind of allows us to go at things that we never would be able to otherwise or that would be really difficult to go at otherwise mm-hmm. so i'm i'm really thankful for dnd in that way <laughs> that's amazing that's so good yeah like I, I i can't even think of what to say that that's that just is so good to hear that he got to work through it not just in a way that he likes doing as a hobby, but with his friends. Yeah. And that that's heartwarming. Yeah. And it's a terrible, sad situation. But, man, that is so good that it helped him with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm just, I'm just super thankful that we were able to do that with him, too. It was just... It, it, it makes me happy mm-hmm. knowing knowing that he's, he's better because we hang out like this. <laughs> Wow. Um, well, Dallas, I hope you're able to follow that up. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, well, let, let's uh, let's we'll switch gears here real quick to Dallas's question. Uh, if you remember, he's uh, he started running games around the time we started this podcast. That's right. Yeah. yeah. He got the starter kit, and I think he got the essentials kit too. Like he was able. He's one of those people that hunted it down. And awesome. uh, so his question is: Hey, hope all is well. It is. Yeah. It's hot. That's it's, it's about warm. it. Uh, I was wondering if you ever run skill challenges. If so, what are your techniques? Uh, do you ever implement them on a whim? Uh, what are the most important things to remember or consider when running them? Uh, I'm thinking about possibly doing one if my players run into a certain mage in the hideout that may end up in a chase scene. Or that may end up in a chase scene. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks. Love the podcast. And, well, thank you, Dallas. Yeah. You're the best. Um, so, skill challenges. Um, so, he talks about a chase here, and I feel like you are the most apt at this, talking about chases <laughs> and whims. So, okay. So, directly, a chase scene. There's actually rules about doing a chase mm-hmm. challenge, like skill checks and all that. In the DMG. Yep. Um, again, the book that none of us really read thoroughly because it's kind of like a textbook, but you should. Um, it's, it's one of it's, be, it's one of my favorite books. I love it. It is. <laughs> um, it's straight up on page 252. Um, oh, nice. You went and got the page yeah, number. <laughs> it's literally chases. There's a whole entire section on how to do chases in the game. And the first time I ever did chases wasn't that long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, because... Literally in the Ravnica book, this isn't really a spoiler, uh, the beginning adventure, the intro adventure, there's a scripted chase scene. The players have to chase a character down. Mm-hmm. And they all they say is, refer the DMG's chase rules. And I'm like, oh my god, there's chase rules? <laughs> and so I literally, at the table, because again, I was script reading an adventure I hadn't read before. Well, yeah, I think <laughs> well, it was because we weren't expecting to play that night. We, were, yeah. we made characters mm-hmm. and then went in. Yeah. And I opened the DMG and I'm like, oh, oh, this is so easy. And so I <laughs> I read through it just really quickly for two minutes before we actually did it. And it was a lot of fun how they set it up. Mm-hmm. And because it was in an urban environment with a lot of opportunity for things to happen, it was like a quintessential movie chase yeah. scene of like going well, through alleyways and stuff. And like it, it, it was I haven't read through them myself because I, you know, I played through it there, but it is so easy that it felt like you had run it before yeah like it went so smoothly and so cinematically and it was awesome that i was like i can't believe that you just read that and did it (laughs) well thank you (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i mean like there's this really neat thing where it's called like uh chase complications and the Mm -hmm. dmg is really nice to lay it out for you based on where you are at Mm -hmm. there's one for urban there's one for wilderness and it's like either when you can choose like what to go for and Mm -hmm. it's a table so every time they do like when they try to do a a skill check to shake off their pursuers or when uh, the bad guy is trying to shake them off you can roll a d20 and the obstacle happens mm-hmm. uh, the complication happens and so it's a really neat thing to go check out and I recommend you do um, I mean you could even just take a moment before you actually do the chase and mm-hmm. just check it out because it's worth it yeah. I'll just say that um, I'll say going back to challenges in general I do them on a whim so often yeah. <laughs> that's like the only time I actually do challenges um, I don't really set them up beforehand because usually it, they come from my players asking me if they could do something. And they usually come from players asking me if they could do something that would be more than one check. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I want to go in here, look through the desk and see if I could find the ledger and see which one is in this ledger. And it's like, okay, that's several checks all at once. Let me see how successful you're at it. And so it's like I have them do different kinds of checks and all at the same time and Mm -hmm. like it's over a period of time too so it's like let's see if you do this um but it's really my skill challenges are reacting to what the players ask me what Mm -hmm. they want to do um i don't really necessarily do it otherwise what about you um yeah i for challenges like i don't call them challenges so i don't know if they're quite the same thing like i call them tests Mm -hmm. um and i think it was called a challenge in fourth edition which is what i pulled it from and kept in fifth edition yeah um where it's like okay i you're doing a survival check 
to see if you can keep up with going with things instead of just having you roll survival check after survival check or survival check i'm just i will say like okay you're gonna do a survival test three mm-hmm. what that means is you need um you're gonna do a test three times and you need more failure or you need more failure you need more successes, successes than failures. so you need to succeed two times before you hit three right uh and like that number will go up like i've done skill test five and skill test seven and stuff yeah. like that um depending on how hard the thing is or even how long yeah <laughs> now the thing is though is that one person sitting there and rolling dice over and over and over again is not entertaining mm-hmm. the main re because you're gonna get the same thing as if you did the checks um you know individually the reason why i frame it like this is i can say you're doing a skill test five you know what that means. You know what you need to do. So while you're doing that, I can talk to another player. Yeah, it's moving, keeping the pace of the game going. Yes, it is. To, it's, uh, it's simply just to keep everybody moving and being able to not just have a quiet, uh, silent moment at the table where there's mm-hmm. just dice being rolled and everyone's watching it. Yeah. Um. I mean, if there is something big where it's a big dramatic moment, skill tests are fun to do because then everyone's just sitting there and watching it. Normally <laughs> I keep that one to a smaller one, like a skill test three. Yeah. Where it's just like, Oh God, oh, please succeed. Cause like they roll that first one, they succeed. All right. Awesome. They roll the next one. It's a one. Oh shit. Yeah. All right. This next one, we got to pass it. So it's, it's fun to do in that situation. It's like the intensity of death saves, but through checks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I love doing those. And most of the time I do them on a whim. I, I yeah. can remember a few times where like I've written down in my notes that it's a skill test, but I, like unlocking a safe or something like that. Yeah. If it's part of like a puzzle, maybe, but I don't really do puzzles like that. Yeah. And most of the time when it comes to like unlocking stuff, like, yeah, if it's a safe, I might do a test, but I might just say just do roll. a lock. Picking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, like doing it that way too also helps speed things up because it's like if it's going to require three checks in a row and you feel like, all right, I got an 18. All right. AT passes. That's DC. Um, and you describe what happens. It's like, okay, well, I got a three. All right. Um, then you have to describe how they didn't do as well, but mm-hmm. then they still have another chance. And so it's like, eh. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know some people, they do challenges in a way where they'll have a set DC and every failure bumps up the DC by five or something like that. But Oh, wow. Yeah. To where it's like, in the end, you have to succeed. And then, like, this, you have to do a check this many times. And then if you succeed on the last one, you're good. But if you fail on the last one, then you don't. Hmm. I don't, I've never done that, so I personally don't know how that feels. That, but. One, that one sounds like some Destiny bounties to me, where it's just like, oh, get so many kills in the Crucible, but your deaths will set you back. I'm like, ah, that's not so fun. That's not fun. No. Yeah. I mean, like, in certain situations, I can understand that. Because, like, if you are trying to open a safe, if you fail at a lock picking, well, then that means that some sort of mechanism or something got busted in there. Mm-hmm. So it might make it a little more difficult. But aside from that, I think that's really situational. Yeah. Like if someone's doing a skill test for me and they roll a one, like even though ones don't affect skill checks, like I might do something with it, but probably not. It all really depends on what kind of skill check it is. Yeah. Like yeah. I don't feel like doing that increasing the DC thing makes it doesn't give any more tension to uh, what's happening than, you know, the way that I'm doing it because Mm -hmm. 
then it just makes the player feel like crap that <laughs> instead of it having a chance where they're like, oh, okay, okay, yeah. all I got to do is succeed this one. It's just like, well, now it's a DC 20. Like, I don't even, I uh. have to roll a 19 or higher to succeed this. It feels like this. that in Pathfinder sometimes. Yes, it does. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't think I would do that one. That one doesn't sound fun. Yeah. Um, well, I Dallas, I hope somewhere in that rambling you got an answer. Uh, <laughs> do them, do them on a win. Have fun with them. Just you know, make sure you and your players are having fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was our show for this week. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to support, the best way to do that is by leaving a review on the service of choice, as well as telling your friends about the show. If you'd like your questions, advice, or stories read on the show, send them into difficultyclass at gmail.com. And if you'd like to stay up to date on the show, you can follow us on Twitter at difficultyclass and on Instagram at difficultypodcast. So, until next week, don't get killed by 85% humidity in a small room with five other people. (laughs) 